Amen. Well, we could just say amen and go home, couldn't we? After that, it just doesn't get any better, doesn't get any clearer, doesn't get any more on, get any more on target. It's just Jesus, period. It's just Jesus, period. It's Jesus, period. There's a wonderful gentleman who may be listening right now, and he and his bride live up in the hill country, and his name is Mr. McCaleb, and he's in his mid-90s, and his favorite song he's declared to his children is, there's something about that name, and he's watching. I hope you're watching this morning, Mr. McCaleb. Just doesn't get any better than that. There's no more powerful prayer that you'll ever pray. There's no more significant name that you'll ever speak. There is no greater corridor of access from heaven to your heart than when we speak his name, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And there is something that he knows you need. There's something that Jesus knows you need. And it's hope. It's hope. Now, Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus that in these next moments you will speak hope to your people. We ask you, Lord, to send forth your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to be the one who applies your word to our hearts. You would be the one by your Spirit to cause your word, your promises, your truths to just come alive in our hearts and grip our hearts and cast out the doubt and the despair and the fear and the oppression. And Lord, that you would fill us with the hope that is our birthright as children of the King. And we declare that to you, Lord, that by what Jesus has done in our hearts and what your Spirit is doing at work in us, we are children of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Two verses that I want to tie together this morning. They're familiar verses to us, but there's a reason that we should see them in tandem. In a sense, two sides of the same coin. Romans 15, 13. Now, right now, right in the middle of whatever it is you're standing in the middle of, going through, facing, now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that last part, that last little prepositional phrase, by the power of the Holy Spirit, really ought to be put to be more clearly understood at the first of the verse. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may the God of hope. Fill you up with all joy and peace and believing. As we often say, it doesn't take any um, real faith. It doesn't take any real touch of God upon your life. After something has been worked out, after a problem has been solved, for there to be joy, for there to be 
peace, for there to be a sense of hope satisfied. The real catch, the real demonstration of the power of the Spirit at work in your heart is when nothing has changed and you've got hope on fire in your heart. When nothing has been solved, nobody said, I'm sorry, no, no uh, bill has been paid that was owed. The, the situation hadn't been solved, but somehow, some way, there is a supernatural something that you know is not native to you, that you know you didn't come up with. Because if we were just left to our own devices, we'd stay at the place of stewing. We'd stay at the place of being worked up. We'd stay at the place of being sad or discouraged or distressed. But in the place of that, somehow, in the middle of my predicament, the Lord is giving me hope. Now, what's hope? Hope is two things. It's the wish. It's the desire. It's the longing. It, it's that desire for something different than what it is now. But the second part of the Bible word for hope, and I hope you'll get this, that, that, that it'll stay with you. The second part of the meaning of hope in the, in the New Testament is that there is attached to the wish or the longing or the desire a solid expectation that it's going to happen. Not, not just that I'm wanting it to happen, but somehow there's a knowing in your knower that it's coming, and it, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's settled in your heart that it's going to happen. It's to ma just a matter of when. Where did you get that? How did you come up with that? Well, the, the, the name here, one of the names for God is that he is the God of hope, meaning that he is the God who generates inside folks' hearts a wish a longing, a yearning for something different than what they're experiencing right then. But then he's also the one, because he knows the future, because he determines the future, because he settles the future and owns the future, he is able to take that part of what he knows and plant that in your heart so that it's not just a wishing and a longing, but there is a sense of knowing. Again, where does that come from? That comes from a work of the Spirit of Jesus alive in your heart, giving you that ability to believe. The, the, the thing that is so vital for us, folks, is, that, that's so vital, is that Satan knows how impotent we are without hope. He, 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 knows, he knows how weak, how distracted we can become, how easily discouraged we can become when we lose hope. And, and he can push us around or pull us around in various ways. That's why Paul will say, I want you to know one of the names of God is the God of hope, meaning that he generates hope. He originates that hope. He puts that in the hearts of people. And in order for us to keep living, and, and, and believing for what we need to believe the Lord for and keep living in the direction he wants us to live, God knows that you and I need to be animated by hope, energized by hope, a wish and an expectation. All right, the second verse is that 2 Corinthians 3.17, where we quote often, Paul will say, now the Lord is the Spirit, meaning the Lord Jesus is the Spirit, 
The spirit is the spirit form, the invisible form, but very real personal form. The Lord is the spirit. And then this, that wonderful line, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, and I want you to put those two together. The God of hope, the God of hope puts hope within us. Where that hope is alive, where the God of hope is doing the work of encouraging and engendering hope of a wish and an outcome, an expectation, that is also going to be one and the same with freedom. Freedom. Real hope is a deep freedom. Real hope is a deep kind of freedom. Now, I realize that doesn't make a lick of sense in the natural mind. But in the spirit, it's as clear as day. Because when we understand that it is the Lord who put the wish in here. And it is the Lord who has settled it in my heart. It's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's coming. Then when that settles in on me, there is a freedom to not have to worry about it. There's a freedom to not have to carry the burden of it. There is a freedom to rest and wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. All right? Now, that, that sounds good theoretically, but I want to take you to a real-life situation. Open your copy of the Scripture, if you would, to that that story about Jehoshaphat in Second um, Chronicles chapter 20 and what happened when an invading army was, was mustering just on the boundary of, of uh, the land of Israel and were wanting to come in and unsettle the people, take their land away from them. And what happened and how this king handled it. Now, when, when you read the name of the king, Jehoshaphat, strange name, but it worked. It worked for him. When you see that name and you're in the middle of some kind of predicament, there's something going on in your life right now that is bigger than you, beyond your ability to solve. I, I want you to put yourself in the place of Jehoshaphat as we read down through this, okay? Now, this is about hope, hope in the present predicament. Hope meaning freedom. Hope, true hope, real hope, God-given hope is freedom. That came about after this, that the sons of Moab, verse 1, 2 Chronicles 20, the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. You got somebody coming after you? you got a group of whatever's coming after you. you got some situations that are amassing at your doorstep. They were coming after Jehoshaphat. Verse 2, then some came and reported Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. 
And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jehoshaphat in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Now you underline this next statement from his prayerful lips. Power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand against thee. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the descendants of this land before thy people Israel and You gave it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever. And they lived in it and have built thee a sanctuary there for thy name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. And now behold, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Behold how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from the, thy possession, which thou hast given us as an inheritance. Now hold on to that verse 11. Mark that. We're going to come back to it. Behold how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from thy possession. This land belongs to you. And thou hast given it to us and inheritance, and you've given it to us. O our God, wilt thou not judge them, for we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. And then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, one of the sons of Asaph, verse 15. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And a king Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. And behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them in the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Now look at the response. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites from the sons of the Korathites and the sons of the sons of Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. Oh, I won't stop there. The rest of it, it ends just like it was prophesied that it would end. And you need to know that. If you're standing in the place of Jehoshaphat, if there is a, however you would quantify it or qualify, there is an array of opposition coming against you professionally, 
family-wise, medically, whatever it would be. There are some words here, some instructions here. And Lord, I pray that by the fire of your spirit, you will cause the reality of your promises and your pledge to us to burn in our hearts. Amen. Don't let us just hear this and then be able to get over it. Lord, we're asking you not to let us get over this. Here's here's the situation. Jehoshaphat was faced with a circumstance that caused him to fear. It took a good bit, probably, for someone with a standing army and a personal entourage of bodyguards to cause there to be any fear to a king of Israel. But this one got through to it. This one touched his heart. This one caused him to be afraid. He admitted the fear. And then he took the steps to address that fear in the way that would honor the Lord. He he went to prayer. It says that he set himself to seek the Lord. My brother, my sister, has there come something so big against you? That it has caused you to know my only hope is God. I can't lawyer up. I can't banker up enough. I can't friend up enough. The only way through this, the only way on the other side, Lord, is if you, if you rend the heavens and come down. My only hope is you. Now, I, I, I just know there, there are a bunch of you that are nodding your head and saying, I have known lots of those situations. I've known those times, Pastor. I've known what that is like. And you know what those are? Those are the worst of days, but they're the best of days. Because it's in that setting, in that circumstance, that you became convinced that you weren't just one of four or five billion on the face of the earth that were created by God, somehow, some way, the way that the Lord answered your cry convinced you that you were indeed a chosen, picked out, wanted, delighted in, treasured child of the living God because he heard your cry. You, you cried out of fear. You cried out of a sense of desperation, but you cried and he heard you. He heard you. Now, Jehoshaphat, at the time that he was making this plea before the Lord, was just pouring out the honesty of his emotion, but he was also rehearsing before the Lord the things that he believed to be true of God. You know, you can believe something about the Lord and yet not necessarily be walking in the joy of knowing that. Do I have a witness? We can say things that we know are true. But it takes the work of the Spirit, and that was going to come in a minute when Jehaziel spoke what he spoke, and it was the life of God, the Spirit of God speaking to the people of God. And at that moment, faith just blew up in their hearts because they knew it was God speaking to them, not just that God had spoken, but that God was speaking to them and making His presence real. I want you to look again at that that verse 6. Where, where Josaphat is praying, art thou, not, art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? And then this statement, power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand against you. You need to underline that. that, that, that highlight it. 
put stars around it, get a t-shirt made out of it, whatever it's going to take for you to be able to come back to that and live at that place when you see that opposition arrayed against you. And the words that may be spoken and the actions that may be taken and the threats that may be perpetrated, power and might are in your hand. They may have some power. They may have a little might. And when they just dance with themselves, they think they have all power. They think they have all the conclusions. They think they have all the answers and all the future. But Lord, I'm saying to you, even in this place where their presence and their threats are causing me to be afraid, I'm declaring out of that part of my heart that you own power and might are in your hand. And no one can stand against you. No one, well, they were standing right then. That they were, they were brandishing swords and, 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 and getting arrows fitted to bows and all of those things. And there were so many of them, they couldn't even count them. But this was Jehoshaphat's declaration, and may it be your declaration, whether you feel it or not, to confess the truth of who God is, is to get you on the side of the God who will come to you. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can stand against you. You know, there have been lots of folks who have lived their lives standing against what God stands for. Standing against what he wants people to understand about him and about what is right. And you know where they are? Dead as a doornail in a grave somewhere, or cremated and in some vase. But when they were walking and talking, great big mouths, great big bulging biceps financially or legally, but they're dead and they're gone. No man or woman can successfully stand against God. Now that will help you. That will help you. To look into the faces of, to think through the setting of, and to make this declaration. Even as we speak the name Jesus, he is the one who has all authority. He has said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here, centuries before, Jesus made that statement. This is the truth about God that Jehoshaphat clung to. Power and might are in your hand. There may be some measures of earthly power and might, but your power is ultimate power. Your might is ultimate might, and no one can stand against you. So you know what that's saying? We flat better be sure that we're standing on God's side and not against him. The declaration is the Lord has never been beaten. He has never been defeated. There may be temporary seasons of allocated power for certain dispensations of earthly history. But ultimately, and if the ultimate means that the big mouths and the large swords and the ones that seem to be leading the day and wielding the day are dead and gone and in a casket and turning to dust... Let God be found true 
and every man a liar. It'll just help you to hold on to that. They don't have all authority. They don't have ultimate power. My Lord does. My God does. Now, Lord, will you please show me where I'm out of step with you? Will you please show me where I'm not aligning with you? Because what I know is I won't make it. I won't last if I'm in any part of me standing against you. I want to be found standing with you. And I need to put the front end of a parenthesis. And I'm going to talk a little bit, put another parenthesis, and we're going to come back to this. And here's what's going in the parenthesis. This coming Wednesday, December the 1st, there is a court case that will begin to be heard before the Supreme Court of the United States of America out of Mississippi that could, if it, is, if it is not thrown out by the Supreme Court, if it happens to pass by a majority of the justices, could literally work to overthrow Roe versus Wade. This week, coming down, U.S. Supreme Court, Christians mustering to pray on the steps, opposition as well. Here's what we need to understand. There have been 65 million innocent, from a Bible standpoint, biblical standpoint, babies. The majority of which have been put to death on the altar of convenience. Didn't want the child, didn't want another one, don't want to be embarrassed by the pregnancy. And so the, the conclusion has been, it's not a child, it's just a mass of cells, it's just tissue, it has no life. Roe versus Wade said, you can abort up to 24 weeks. Only problem with that, folks, is when you bring in to bear what the scripture says about life. David would say in Psalm 139, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I was woven in the secret parts, in the depths of my mother's womb. All the days that I would live, I would live were written down in a book before there was yet one of them. Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 3 would say, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you to be a prophet to the nations. John the Baptist. The earthly first cousin of Jesus the Messiah, John the Baptist, was foreordained, was known while yet in his mother's womb. The, the, the angel, the archangel Gabriel said to Mary, you're going to be pregnant with a child. You'll name him Jesus. And listed all of those things that this child who had not even yet been conceived would be. 
I'm not, I'm not saying this just to be mad at people. I'm not mad at people. But I'm mad at the devil. Because the devil has lied. And, and science can be manipulated in such a way that it would seem to say, well, at a certain it's not until this point that, that, that whatever that is in a woman's womb is actually a baby. But the prenatal, honest prenatal science... Ten weeks, there's a heartbeat. The little child in the womb, the youngest, most innocent Americans can recognize their mother's voice, can be affected by various settings, cold and hot. And yet somewhere, somewhere, and here comes, this is loaded. 200 years ago, 150 years ago in this nation, Some would say, I have a right to own a person. I have a right to own a slave. That was dealt with by the Civil War and, and subsequent constitutional amendments. But today, it's this cry. I have a right to kill my baby. I have a right to murder this innocent American. And I realize that's strong, but it's, from a biblical standpoint, we could argue that that's the truth. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take an innocent life. Now I need to quickly say, over the years, these 30-something years of Alamo City, there have been many, many, many precious women and men who at a time before they understood what they were doing, were involved in an abortion or abortions. But then they came to realize the depth of the wrong. And many of them in counseling and prayer, great depression, nightmares, tragic circumstances related to that that they just couldn't get over. But then they came to Jesus put their faith and trust in the blood of Jesus in payment for those sins. And they found forgiveness and they found freedom and they found hope that has brought freedom to their lives in that particular area. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. But oh my goodness, folks. The statistics record in the last two years there have been five million that are reported to have died by COVID. But every year around the world, 40 to 50 million abortions. Somewhere along the line, world leaders have just not seemed to have a problem with the latter, but a great problem with the former. The further complicating issue is for us as American Christian citizens, is that we vote our representatives into office. We vote our representatives in. When, when the clear and unapologetic platform of a particular party or a particular individual would say, you elect me and I will further the permission for the youngest Americans to be murdered. You vote for me and you're voting for Abortion. 
Is anybody listening to me? Want to, want to bear the weight of that responsibility? That I participated in, I contributed to what I knew they would do if they were in office. Folks, so that shouldn't, shouldn't be a water, watershed. It ought to be a watershed. We, we condemned slavery, but we condone abortion for convenience. And we have believed the lie, the lie of a manipulated science, that it's not a life, it's just a water cell. A disorganized wad of cells doesn't have a beating heart. A disorganized wad of cells does not perk when the mother or the father or familiar speak. Okay? Now again, Satan is a liar. Jesus said, and he's the father of lies. And he can tell you a lie just like it feels like the truth. And that's what he has done. But folks, if it took... 500,000 deaths in the Civil War to bring an end to slavery and, in a sense, purge that from the American soul. What in the world is 65 million innocents? The blood of 65 million innocents. What do we have in the light of that? What could be before You say, well, pastor, that just sounds so hopeless. Well, you could look at it that way. But you could also go to this same verse that Jehoshaphat quoted. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. Here's the hope, America. Here's the hope. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Instead of just assuming that that's the way it's supposed to be, it's no big deal to own it, that it's wrong, it's sin in the sight of God, it's murder in the sight of God, we confess it as sin. We humble ourselves before you. And where we have contributed, to the furthering of that ideology and practice. We repent of it. Stop it now. Turn back. And turn back to you, Lord. Because no one can stand against you. Let God be found true and every man a liar. Again, I want to say, there is a breakthrough and there is freedom and there is hope that comes to a heart that embraces the God of heart, God of hope and His mercy and His forgiveness. When He touches and cleanses and sets us free, He does that and hope and a life and a future can happen. We don't have to be owned by the sins of the past. That's the hope of Calvary. But I want to ask you to please the church here and the church wherever this may be heard, May we just begin to pray, God, will you help those nine Supreme Court justices to do what's right in your sight? Maybe for once in their whole life, to do what's right in your sight. For the sake of the innocent, for the sake of the unborn, would you help them? It it won't just be a one-day prayer. This This could last for a few days. This could last for a few weeks. This could be thrown out in hours. But folks, let's be found at the place of saying, God, 
We want to be found on your side because we declare it, we decree it, we own it, we accept it, that no one can stand against you. No one can stand against you. No one can stand against what you stand for. Okay? And let that close the parenthesis. And let's come back to 2 Chronicles 20. The Spirit of the Lord, <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Now, we don't know who he was except that he had some lineage. Is that the right word? Legacy? Lineage? Lineage. That's my word. He had a lineage. And he tracked it all the way back, and he was a son of Asaph, the lead praise leader in, in, uh, in, in David's time and descendants following his life and death. Jehaziel, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And the Spirit of the Lord gave him something to say to the people. Folks, I'm telling you, when God, by the power of the Spirit, speaks something to his people, we have ears to hear, and life resonates within us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. But the reason we don't have any more hope than we live with oftentimes is because we're looking laterally. We're looking laterally. There comes a point in time you got to turn that TV off. Get silent somewhere, some way, somehow, so you can hear. And it's not static. We can listen. We can hear. But here they were gathered in a setting, and they were waiting. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and he spoke that word. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. And, and he, he, he uses two different words for it. He says, do not fear and do not be dismayed. The first one has to do with a mental looking out of the situation and fearing the harm that would come if it's not stopped. That's fear. But the word for dismayed is all about emotion. Don't let this crush you. Don't let this put you to the, pay, to, to, to the place of discouragement even to the place of such great fear that you flee, that you want to run. But nothing had happened yet. That, that enemy is still out there. They're still camped. But folks, listen. And I just, I hope somebody's got ears to hear this. And I believe many of us do. Lord, I just need to hear from you. Because when you speak to my heart, bringing a verse of scripture fresh to my heart, putting some a word independent within my heart, some, some sense of, of, of direction, some sense of, of inspiration that, that I know is not me, naturally me, then I receive it. And as you receive it, faith rises to be able to operate. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You take that verse and you read it right into 2 Chronicles 20. And what happens after that, the word from Jehaziel is spoken is that there's an observable sense of confirmation. The king, the king gets on his face before the Lord. The people get down, bow before the Lord. They start worshiping the Lord. The enemy is still out there. The swords and the arrows are still in the enemy's camp. But on the basis of what God's people heard, there was freedom from that fear. 
There was freedom from that fear. Folks, I'm just talking to you about a miracle of the heart that God may want to do in this very hour where there's a setting that is arrayed against you, but the Lord is wanting to show you that he has the power to set you free from the fear of that, even though the mechanics of that and the physical parts of that, properties of that, have not changed one bit. Whenever he gets ready, he's going to deal with whoever and whatever is standing against him when he gets ready. But David would say, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then he goes on to say, wait for the Lord. Again, I say, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's a timing that God has. But he wants his people to know that I love you so much right now. I can bring heaven to your heart right now. It doesn't have to be when the apologies come or the repentance happens or the bill gets paid or the lawsuit gets dropped or whatever it is. He can do it now. Now, may the God of hope. I know, I know this is sound like a broken record, but, but I, just, I can't shut up. I can't stop it because I feel like there's a breakthrough that he wants to bring to folks who are sitting in this room and folks who are out there. He wants to bring hope to you right now. Hope that is independent of, hope that is bigger than the problem getting fixed and everybody being nice and things going away. Now may the God hope. So, so here, here the word is spoken. But I'm going to show you something that I, and I'm going to quit here in just a second. But this, is, this has just really been walking all over my heart. It's interesting. I told you to, to make note of um, the statement where in verse 11, in his prayer, Jehoshaphat says, Behold how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from thy possession which thou hast given us as an inheritance. And then look over at the end of verse 15. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. The battle is not yours but God's. Why is it God's battle? Why why is it God's battle? Because the enemy was coming in to try to take back from God what God possessed and what God had given to his people. In this sense of the word, it wasn't the people's battle to fight. It would be God's battle to fight. Folks, oh, oh goodness. Do you realize when you are where God wants you to be? And there is opposition coming at you. Again, we're praying, Lord, show me where I'm not in agreement with you. Not that we're going to all think right and do everything right. But Lord, I want you to correct me if I'm not standing with you. Because I don't want to stand against you. But when there is that sense of realizing that they're not fighting me, their resistance is toward him. And he, in his time, will deal with it. And he's already decreed the outcome. Nobody can stand against me. I don't, it doesn't matter how big and how, how powerful and how wealthy and how whatever. 
the ones may be arrayed against you. No man, no one can stand against God. I'm going to tell you this too. No sickness can stand against him. No sickness can stand against him. Nothing of this world, nothing engineered by Satan can ultimately stand against him. If he allows something to come, if he allows some things to, to seemingly successfully come against us and take certain things, folks, listen, it's like Joseph. Joseph's brothers were allowed to do what they did to him because God saw Joseph as more than the little brother, lowest on the pecking order. He saw him as the right hand of Pharaoh's greatness in Egypt. So he may allow some things to be taken so he can bless the fire out of you greater as he does what he chooses to do with your life. So the battle was not, was not that, no, There'll be folks arrayed against you trying to say you're nothing and you're worthless and you can't do it and you, you, don't, you don't deserve. And on and on and on and on and on. But when you understand who you are, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, sought out and pursued by the Lord's love, and you are a child of the King. And ones would come against you to try to assault that image of who he has with you of who you are with him, then the great joy in your life can be realizing this isn't my fight. The fight is between them and the Lord. I know who I am. 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 And you can do nothing to change who God has told me I am to him. Hope is freedom. Hope, God kind of hope, is freedom. But we're not having to be knocked around by the opinions, the attitudes, the concoctions of people and things in this life. Hope is freedom. Hope is freedom. You go on and you read the rest of that where the, verse 20, they rose early in the morning and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa and, they, and, and Joseph said, listen to me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord, your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets or in his word, and you will succeed. Something happened by the work of the Spirit of God inside the hearts of those people, starting with the king. God's got this. This is his fight. We will do what he has said. We will trust the Lord and not trust what our eyes see. We will not trust what our ears hear. We will trust the Lord, and we will trust his word. And his word is said, this battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. Okay, and I want to point out one more thing, then we're going to stop. And this is significant. In a couple of different spots, the Lord will tell them, after the word has been given, Here's what you're to do. You're not to fight, but you are to stand. You are to position yourselves and see the salvation of the Lord. Earlier, we found it in verse 6 that no man can stand against him. But it just seems as if the Lord is looking for some folks who will stand with him. Look what he says. He says, you need not fight in the battle, verse 17, but station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. He didn't give the permission to break and run and go back to their homes 
or for the captain to go, the, the, the king to go to a safe house. He said, you go out and face them. Don't run from them. Don't assume they're not there. But with you knowing that you're standing with me, and you knowing that I am with you, you face them. You face them. Don't turn tail and hide. Don't run. Now, I don't know how that may apply to your situation. Sometimes when the Lord will do these things, and, and we don't have to be involved in any way, we can just stay in our prayer closet. But I, I just get a kick out of the thought of, oh, my goodness. So here, here the, here's this, this innumerable host coming against Israel. That They go out. How would you like to have been in the praise team in this, in this field? They didn't have the mighty men of war out in front. They had the praise singers. And, and they were supposed to go out first, and they were supposed to be saying, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. There, there wasn't a sword with them. There wasn't a shield with them. They just went out praising, giving the Lord thanks for what he had promised, for what he would do. And as they did that, the Lord, it says, set ambushes against the people, and they routed themselves. But, but the, you know, the thought that, oh, my goodness, how crazy must, could it have looked? And here's this massive army, and they look up on this hill, and here, come, here comes the band playing. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. On this rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. They just came out praising. And as a result of that, somehow as the Lord saw that faith being operating, operating within them, it says the Lord set ambushes within the enemy and they routed themselves. There's a praise and a thanksgiving that fits a situation even when the situation has not yet solved itself. And in this case, it's an indicator of the trigger. The trigger, the praise, the thanksgiving can be the trigger that releases the Lord in a sense. He's combined himself to wait for the praises of his people going up, and then he set ambushes against the people, against the enemy. See, when you've when you, when you got hope in your heart, you don't have to run and hide. Do you hear me? When your trust is in the Lord who put the hope in you, you can stand in the face of that which is opposing you. And not dreading it, because you know nobody can stand against the Lord. And if they're standing against the Lord, it's only a matter of time before that's brought down. But because of who you know you are and what he said to you to do, you can face it. You can stand. You can position yourself. You can say, I think that's just really significant. He didn't want to do it without them being involved in some way, but their involvement was not to run and hide, but to stand, position themselves, so that perhaps the enemy was able to see the strength of their countenances, the sense of the presence of God working in their lives. And it was over. It was over. You don't have to be crippled one second longer. By the intimidation of Satan, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Lord, I want to thank you for this time together this morning. I want to thank you for your power that you 
have said is ours to ask for, your power to cause hope to rise up within us that what we are longing for and what you are freshly encouraging us that it's coming, it's going to happen. I'm going to do what I promised you. That, Lord, those realities within our spirits would work freedom, freedom, freedom. You're not a cruel taskmaster. We, we are not slaves. We've been set free from a spirit of religion that would try to rule over us with nothing but fear. But we are your sons and we are your daughters and you know how to fight for us and you've called us to stand where you have put us for the purpose of seeing the victory and the breakthrough and the defense of God's people and the further expansion of what you want. Thank you for that, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All authority he holds in his right hand. He is alive in you. Everything that is against him will one day perish. No matter what it looks like now, but you stand with him. And he will position you sometimes to stand in the place with him where he has positioned you for the purpose of showing you his deliverance and his salvation. May it be. May it be. I'm praying you gonna, some of you are going to walk out of here with, those, with your socks rolling up and upside down, your Tony Lama boots and, and your belt flat. That, 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 oh, my goodness. Hope can come now by the power of His Spirit alive in me. God's got it. God's got it. Let's stand together. If you would, those of you in our here in Alamo City and San Antonio, we just bless you for being here. Bless you for being here. If we can pray with you, prayer partners, if you'll join me. We'd love to spend some time just praying with you, your relationship with the Lord. Anything going on there that we can pray? But it, here's the deal. It, it's, it's the most important decision ever to be made in this life is what you do with Jesus. Will you allow him to come out of the Bible and come and live in your heart. He's real. He's alive. He's able to do that. If you've never opened your heart up to receive Jesus, Jesus, you can do that right where you are, right, right where you are, either in this room or wherever you may be in our streaming family. Jesus, I open my heart. Please come and live inside me. Bring your hope, your hope to my heart. And he will. He has the power to do it. He has the heart to do it. And we bless you. Thank you for praying with us and standing with us and supporting in so many ways as you pray and the financial gifts that you're led to send this way. It helps us to keep doing what we're doing and for the word of encouragement to keep going out. Bless you for that. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, just a short paragraph, sentence or two of how we can be praying for you and with you. If you're in a predicament, if you're in something, we, we take that very seriously, and we take it with joy, our assignment, to pray, Lord, will you do what is in your heart to do? Agreed prayer is something that is honored by the Lord, he says. So let us pray with you if we can do that. Okay? God bless you. I'm really praying you're walking out of here with more than what you came in with. 
weren't talking about somebody else, but to you. Where's your predicament? And the Lord, by His Spirit, impart hope to that space, to that place. Amen. Ab, let's, let's sing some as we go. You come this way if we can pray with you. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Sing Jesus.